If there's one thing you need when you're walking into enemy territory, it's a friend. It's somebody on your side, somebody you can count on, somebody you can depend on. You've been there before. All of us have at some level you're walking into a, a difficult conversation with someone. Walking into a situation that's tense, that's, you know, is volatile, could be potentially volatile. And you look for a friendly face. You look for something that's familiar, something you know. These two spies we're going to see in this story today from Joshua chapter 2, if you want to turn there, are walking into a tense situation. In fact, their very lives may depend on the decisions they make and how they handle themselves in this situation. And they know that. And they are... (coughs) under the leadership of Joshua, and, and according to some of their own decisions, very shrewd, very wise with how they handle the situation. They find a friend in the most unlikely place, in the place none of us would pick. Let's see what they say. Joshua chapter 2. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim to go over to the land. He said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, bring out the man who came to you and enter your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, the men left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under uh, stack or stalks of flax that she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gates were shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up to the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a, <clears throat> that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did at Shihon and at Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven, above and on earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother my brothers and my sisters, and all who belong to them, that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the man assured her. If you don't tell what we're doing, we'll treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. Now, here's a story of Joshua seeing the need to go over to Jericho and spy out the land. Sends these two spies, are about to fight a battle with the, with the folks from Jericho, sends these two spies over to see what's up. Sends them into enemy territory and into enemy camp. And the first thing that happens here of an aware leader, and he is that, and these two, these two spies are that as well, is aware leaders plan wisely. They plan wisely. In essence, <clears throat> there is some secular shrewdity to what's going on. These guys were shrewd in their selection. In fact, uh, it, it, is, it is said here in verse 1 that they entered the house of a prostitute. Now, if you're going into enemy camp, and there's, there's the chance of your being annihilated, being discovered and either run out of town or discovered and killed one or the other, would the first place you'd go be the house of a prostitute? Well, think with me on this. Either, I don't know whether Joshua told them to do this. I don't think he did. 
because they were from, uh, the spies were from Shittim, this area that was close to Jericho. They knew the area. They knew the situation. They knew the lay of the land. They knew the city. Knew some of the players already in Jericho. And so he selected, hand-selected them because of who they were and where they came from, not because they were anybody special, but because of their location. Hand-selected them to walk into a place where they had more knowledge of what was going on there than anybody else and picked those two to say, okay, you work this out. You go spy out the land and return and tell us what's going on. So here are these two, likely already have, having heard of Rahab, go to her house, I think, in my opinion, appearing to be a couple of her regulars that show up, fully expecting that to be taken as they're going into, the, into Rahab's house, going into this brothel, or going in for sex as a couple of her regular guys on a, on a regular occasion here, hoping that because of that, nobody would say, well, gee, I wonder who these guys are, I wonder where they come from. And so I fully believe that was their intention to say, Probably the safest place for us is, is in this brothel with Rahab. Now, I don't believe they knew Rahab was, at this time, a, a, a God-fearing person. Like, I think they discovered this on the rooftop of the, this, this, in the evening as she comes up to talk to them, and we'll look at that a little bit later. But I don't, I don't think they expected necessarily a warm reception. I, I think what they expected was a, a, a place of uh, provision, a haven, more or less, to hide out, to say, listen, listen, until we figure out what's going on, Let's go in the brothel. Maybe we'll be safe here in the brothel for a little bit. So that's what they do. They go in, and, and of course, you know the story. We read it. Uh, they avoid detection and avoid probably potential death because of this decision they made. They entered the house, I think, of a prostitute with secular shrewdity. We see in this story that they left with greater respect for her walk, or at least her love of Jehovah. And so as, as they learn this process, they start to see the hand of God at work in, in what, they're, what they're doing in their situation. Now, if you remember with me, about four or five weeks ago, we looked at, in, in the story of Jesus' birth, looked in Matthew chapter 1 at the lineage of Jesus, the, the, his family history. Rahab is in the lineage of Jesus. This prostitute is in, his, is in his family tree. Now, that is an intentional story in and of itself as well. How he placed this hooker in this time and in this place for this purpose. It was by God's design before these, ever, before these two men ever show up that she be there and she be the one they come to for help and for, and, for, and for a hideout. And so whether this is a shrewd decision on the part of Joshua or a shrewd decision on the part of these two spies, it is wise, it is extremely wise decision that, that either all of them made or that those two made or he made on their behalf. That's what aware leaders do. They look into situations and anticipate what is worth the worst case scenario and act and wisely, act shrewdly in those situations. Exercise some wisdom in situations that could present, uh, uh, present potential pitfalls or harm, and, and in fact, in these guys' case, probably even death, had those wise decisions not been made. So they, anticipating their death, anticipating being found, head into the house of Rahab to find a place of, of a safe haven, at least they hope, and it turns out to be that. So aware leaders, first of all, plan wisely. Secondly, aware leaders respond quickly. Look in verse 4 with me. It says, but the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, these men came to me, but I didn't know, know where they had come from. The woman had taken these two men and hidden him. Um, what might be a difficult situation on the surface for these guys to, to accept her hospitality to hide them, and on the surface for most men might appear to be cowardice. We don't need a woman to hide us. I mean, if, you, if, you, if you're going into that situation, you're, if, you're, if you're like me, going that, in that situation, you tell her, listen, all I need is a place to hide out here. I need a place to let this die down and we'll head back out. I don't need, I don't need to go up to the roof and be covered up with, with leaves and, 
I don't, I don't need to be hidden. I'll take care of you. You don't need to take care of us. We'll take care of you. Yet, that's not how they operate. They allow her to lead. They allow, in fact, she takes a role of leadership here in hiding them out. She responds quickly to the situation. In fact, she becomes a leader in this situation. God places her, as I said a few moments ago, in this time, in this exact, exact point in time and place to see the need being met and to see that she is a part of the provision. She's a part of the plan of provision of God in their life. And so she steps forward and says, listen, let's go up to the roof. I'll hide you guys out up there. And what may appear to be on the surface of most, for, for most men, most of us men, would be cowardice turns into submission to someone else's leadership. When we are in a given situation and we need to see a way, if God provides a leader in that situation, we need to listen and heed their leadership. That's what these two guys do. They realize they're in a vulnerable place, in a vulnerable situation. Their lives are at at stake. And they respond to her leadership. She steps forward, as I said, led by God to provide some leadership for them. So they went in there to be protected, they, they, they understood that, they were, that that's the purpose they were there. This, this encounter was intentional on their, on their part. I don't think it was, it was non-sexual whatsoever. It was shrewd decision-making to go into a brothel and what was intentional on their part. But uh, and they, they, they knew that. They understood what was going on there. They understood the, the appearance of everything and put their appearance in, in, in play for all that. But Joshua had chosen these right two men for the job. They, these are two guys that could stay focused on the task and move forward with the plan of God and not get sidetracked by circumstances the way many do. And that's where most of us live our lives. Most of us live our lives seeing the plan of God and taking a step or two or six in that direction and then facing some hardship. And then starting to look at the circumstances around us, kind of like Peter did walking on the water, we start to see the waves. We start to see the situations. Whoa, I better back off. I don't know that I can handle it. I don't know that I'm ready for the situation. I need to, I need to know more scripture. I need to spend more time in prayer. I need to, I need to be closer to God. When he's saying, no, just keep walking. Keep walking. Keep your eyes off the circumstances. Keep your eyes on the plan. It's exactly what these two guys did. The circumstances said, they're in a brothel. They've gone here for sex. The plan said, I've put, put this place in protection for you, and I've, I've led you to Rahab for her to be a provision for you according to my plan before creation was ever started. And so they see that, they recognize that, and don't get sidetracked by the circumstances. They listen and respond to her own leadership in their lives for that moment, and realizing that she's in this situation. She knows the city. She knows the lay of the land. She knows this better than we do. So if, if this is her idea that what we need here for the night, let's respond to that. That's exactly what they do. They, they respond quickly to her leadership. She responds quickly to the situation. That's what aware leaders do. Thirdly, aware leaders not only plan wisely and respond quickly, but aware leaders listen intently. Look at verses 8 and 9 with me. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up to the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what he did at Shahan and at Og, these two kings of the Amorites of the east of Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. The reputation had gone ahead of them. We know, I know the Lord has given this land to you, she said. Now, Rahab was perceived up to this point to be a pagan, to be a person apart from from fellowship with Jehovah and acknowledgement of God's deity. Yet, here she is going up to the roof and saying, let me give you an insider's view of why I put you up for the night. Let me help you see the things you don't see. You've come here just for a, a place to lay low for the night. And then to spy out beyond that, what I want to give you is the story. 
want to, I not only want to give you protection, I want to give you the story that you've come to find out. What you've come to find out is my city's gripped in fear because of you. My city lives and walks in fear. They've heard the story of what happened at the Red Sea. They've heard the story of what happened at Sihon and Adag, these two kings. They've heard the story of how God, your God annihilated them. And I'm going to tell you, our whole city is ripe for the taking because we're walking in fear today of you guys. You can come in and push us over with a feather. And that's just what was our message to them. And so what they anticipated just to be an overnight stay in a place of, of protection, a place of warm place to sleep and not be killed, becomes for them the story. It becomes the thing they came to do. So rather than secretly get out of her house and go spy out the city, see where the fortresses were, see where the soldiers were kept, she tells them the whole story. Listen, we're, we're ready for the taking. Our entire city is ripe for you because I know the power of your God. I know what your God has done. Your reputation is already ahead of you. Your God is the God of, is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I believe she's saying to them, he's mine too. And because of that, I want to <clears throat> that you've come here at the right time and in, into my house for the right place. She listened. They listened. <clears throat> excuse me. They listened intently at her message. And her, her message is exactly <clears throat> what they needed to hear. And so Rahab is basically taking a role of leadership to say, this is a God-ordained moment. God has placed me in this time and place for you. And he's placed me here for you to see a message that you need to see and hear from me. Not with your own eyes, but from my mouth to say, as a native of Jericho, I'm going to tell you, Jericho is ready to fall. All you've got to do is come in, and it's done. And so this was, she, she realized this was a God-ordained encounter. Why? Because she had heard the stories. That's why I continually tell us over and over and over again, there's power in God using your story. I don't care how much failure is in it. I don't care how much loss is in it. I don't care what a lack of pizzazz there may seem to be in it. God will use your story over and over and over in someone else's life, but we've got to tell it. Someone told Rahab the story of Jehovah. Someone told Rahab the story of what was happening with the Israelites, and it, and it gripped her whole city in fear. She knew it. She was a part of it. I think became God-fearing as a result of those stories. And that story is being shared with these two spies in her home, in this brothel, to say, listen, God placed me here for this time and place for you, for you to hear the very things that I'm sharing with you. He's making me a messenger, a voice of his to you to say, this city, <clears throat> excuse me, is ripe for the taking. He made himself known to, to Rahab, and she made that known to them. Our leaders hear these stories, and they connect the dots. That's what Rahab was able to do. She was saying, God has placed me here for this time and for this moment. When these two guys showed up, and she knew they were, they were from Israel. I, I, I can imagine her thinking, okay, here it is about to go down and she takes him to the roof hides them out tells him the story and says listen this is this is a this is a god moment this is a god ordained time they see it they hear it they understand it because they see it in the eyes of a native that's from jericho and they hear it in her story and she and they were able to connect the dots here and say okay you're exactly right god led us here to hear you he didn't lead us here to, to find a safe haven for the night he led us here to hear your story of your city and how he's already been at work ahead of us, gone before us to prepare, <clears throat> prepare the way for us. And he had. And so they, they entered her, her house with, as we looked at him a moment ago, with kind of a worldly shrewdness, a worldly wisdom. And they leave with a godly knowledge. They leave with something altogether different than what they brought there or came there for. And so their, their willingness to hear her and their willingness to see in her Okay, God has put her here for this time and place. Their willingness to recognize God in her led them to go back and tell the story. We'll see that more next week. 
But they listen intently. That's what aware leaders do. They listen. They, they, they know when to close their mouth. They know when to shut up and pay attention to what someone else has to say. They know when God maybe, <clears throat> maybe have placed someone in their life <clears throat> and across their path for that moment in that time and in that place. They have enough wisdom to see that. <clears throat> Fourthly, aware leaders not only plan wise, they respond quickly and listen intently, but aware leaders, and this is the best part, live selflessly. Aware leaders live selflessly. Look at verse 14 with me. <clears throat> she tells him here in, in, in verse 12 and 13, now listen, I've shown a kindness to you. Will you show kindness to me when you come in to invade? When you come to annihilate the city, will you, will you, will you show kindness to me and my family? And here's the response in verse 14. Our lives for your lives. And what a response. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we're doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. In, us, in essence, you've shown us mercy. Mercy is going to be shown to you. You've been merciful to us. We're going to be merciful to you. Why? Because we believe God sent you here. We believe God placed you here for this time and place. And so the more we see God's hand at work, the easier it is for like these guys and, and like her, the easier it is to stick our necks out on the line, both, both physically and spiritually, to trust that God's going to follow through. My neck's out here. My, my story's out here. My life's out here. He will follow through for me, won't he? And the answer over and over again is yes. Seldom as quickly as you want. Seldom in the way you want. But he will always follow through. You see, these guys, as I said, walked into this place with a, with a worldly shrewdness, left with a godly wisdom, godly knowledge, and they find themselves in the middle of the story they didn't even plan to be in. Because all they went with to do was just to, to spy out the land and realize, okay, how many fortresses do they have? What's their, what's their capability of defending us or, or defending against us when we attack? They went there with a military objective, clearly. What they left with was something spiritual. They never intended to leave with that. They left with a spiritual story. They left with, 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 with the, the benefit of seeing the hand of God ahead of them and before them. And when we do that, it's far easier physically, as I said, verbally, uh, spiritually, to, to put ourselves out there. Why? Because we know God is already out there. What they recognized when they walked into her brothel was God was already ahead of us. He drew us here for this very reason. He gave us the wisdom to seek this place and this lady for our own protection. Yet he had a bigger design in that. He had a design in us seeing him, not her, and seeing his protection, not hers. And when we see that, it's far easier for us to, in faith, step out to follow whatever the Lord's doing, whatever his leading it may be. And as I said, sometimes that's hard, but that's, that's where these guys find themselves in the circumstances. So it's far easier to live selflessly in our lives when we realize the responsibility for our success, it doesn't depend on us. It depends on him. It's harder to live selflessly if, if, if that's the otherwise. If we think it's, see, our success depends on our own, our own ingenuity and our own, our own brains and our own degree and our own smartness and our own connections and our own wisdom and our own resources. If we think our success depends on us. It's far harder to trust him. If we know our success depends on him, it's far easier to say, God's in it, I'm moving. I'm, if he's ahead of me, I don't want to miss him. So I'm walking. In some cases, I'm running. I'm moving at his pace, at the, at the pace he opens doors and sends people across my path. Why? Because I've already seen him at work. I've seen God do this. I've seen God intersect my life with this and with this and with this person, with this conversation, with this situation. And as I've seen him do that, do that and develop a track record with me and in me, it's far easier for me. When God starts to open the door, I don't have to question, is this of God? I just walk. It's of God. Because he's already been ahead of me before, and he's still ahead of me now. And so... It, when we see, see our, our, our success and failure, not in our own hands, but in his, it should be for us far easier to say, he's got this. He's got this. He's had this. I'm a pastor. And, um, and I would ask you this question this morning, whether, whether it's 
in terms of a pastor, in terms of a boss, in terms of a spouse, in terms of a friend, in terms of a, someone in a position of authority. What kind of leader do you want to follow? One who is consumed with themselves or one who put their life on the line for you? That's exactly what these guys did. Our lives for your lives. That's what they tell her. Will you remember me? All she wanted was an escape. And they go beyond escape. They say, listen, we'll not only ensure your safety, we'll put our lives on the line to make sure it happens. We'll put our lives in place of your life to make sure it happens. <clears throat> That's how much we know that God's been in this moment and in, in this time and place, in this encounter before we ever showed up. God was already here. We've seen that. And because of that, we're willing to say, listen, we'll not only ensure your way out, we'll, we'll bring you in. And in fact, we'll put our lives on the line to make sure that happens. That's the kind of leader I want to follow. Not somebody that's self-consumed and somebody that's tentative and says, listen, if I have enough success, then I'll ask you to follow me. If, if, if God blesses me enough, then I'll, I won't be inhibited to say, well, come, come, let's go this way. No. If I see the hand of God at work ahead of me and around me and in me, I'll ask you to follow me willingly and boldly to say, here's where the Lord's going. That's the kind of leader that, that God wants us to follow and he, the kind of leader he wants us to be. Why? Because we see in her and we see in this situation provision that God had already been there before them. And we see, well, as we see this story unfold here, we want to see God ahead of them every step of the way. When we see that happen in our lives, <clears throat> where can we go apart from the grace of God? Nowhere. If we follow in his steps, we're going to experience his grace. If we, if we have enough wisdom to say, if God's in this, I'm moving. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what everybody's saying. I'm moving to follow him. He will bless and issue his grace in those, in those moments of, of obedience before, uh, before him and before his ways. So these aware leaders plan wisely, respond quickly, listen intently, and live selflessly. There's far more to this story than meets the eye, but those are at least four things. So there are two takeaways I want to give you before we go, <clears throat> and I think they're significant. And they're this. One, <clears throat> if God can use a hooker in enemy territory, he can and will use anybody anywhere. I get that because that's significant. If God can use a prostitute in a brothel, in enemy camp, in a place where everybody should be against me, he can and will use anybody anywhere. So what does that say? <clears throat> it says, he looks at us and says, I don't care what your past is. I don't care where you come from. I don't care what your failures are. I don't care how many times you've been defeated. I don't care how many times you've given up. I don't care what your past looks like. I still want to use you. I still can. I don't care what, how many times you've run away from me. I don't care how many times you've looked at me and, and face-to-face and said, no. I still want to use you. I still want to bring glory to myself out of your life. There is no place where God grabs us, <clears throat> biblically speaking, no place where God grabs us and says, because of this, because of what you've done, I'm setting you up on the shelf, and you're going to heaven, but I'm done with you as far as your influence is concerned. No, he never does that. Why? Because he wants to use the very garbage that we think he set, up on, set us up on the shelf for to penetrate and, and, and minister to someone else's life in their situation. That's, that's exactly how God works. We think it's the otherwise, and we listen to the enemy and say, listen, God will never use you because of that. You're done. Yeah, no influence. God will never <clears throat> take this black, this dark a situation and bring glory to himself through you because of it. How dare you even think that way? What do you think you are that the God of the universe would use you? Look at you. Who are you? And he says here to these guys, 
if I brought you here and to her and in this place, I can take you anywhere. I can protect you anywhere. If you, if you walk with me, if you're obedient with me, doesn't matter where your foot finds its, its, its resting place, I'm already there. I'm ahead of you. Always been ahead of you. Always will be ahead of you. I can use anybody, anywhere, anytime. So as we look at those around us that we think, man, I've been praying for them. And I, just, I don't know if they're coming to Christ. I don't, know if if there's, I, don't, I don't know if there's a ripeness to the gospel. It just seems like their heart is so hardened. It seems like as we, as we think of those folks that God's placed in our life that we are praying for or have been praying for, I would encourage you to say, listen, God can use anybody anywhere. I need to stay the course with them. In fact, I probably need to ramp it up. I probably need to have more conversations with them. I need to pray harder for them. I need to engage them more. Why? Because God can use anybody anywhere. He can use their story for his glory. Always can do that. And he does that over and over and over again to the extent that, that uh, Hebrews, Hebrews chapter eleven thirty one speaks to, it's, it, Hebrews 11 is, is the great roll call of faith in the scripture. And all these, all these patriarchs, and she being a matriarch more or less in the story of faith, by faith, here's what Abraham did. By faith, here's what Moses did. By faith, and by faith, Rahab's a part of that story. By faith, Rahab, in protecting the spies, uh, did the will of God in this situation. And so she makes the great roll call of faith. A prostitute, a hooker, makes the great roll call of faith in Hebrews 11. What should that tell us? God can use anybody, anywhere, from any background and in any situation, regardless of whether it looks like failure or success. He can turn the story around, and he does. He did that in her. So there are no off-limits areas. There are no off-limits individuals in his mind. They're only in ours. We don't, we're the only ones that look at people and say, you're done. You're toast. God can never use that. He can never use, or look at ourselves that way. He can never use this situation in my life, ever. We're the only ones who put those thoughts there. He doesn't. He can use anybody, anywhere, from any failure. Secondly, I want us to take away the fact, last week we looked at, at, at the fact that a good leader and any, any, a person of influence will always increase their capacity to lead. They'll always look around them and realize, here's what God is sowing into me, and here's the purpose for it. They'll increase their capacity. Today, as we talk about awareness, let's resolve to be more aware of what God is up to and then adjust ourselves and our priorities and our time and our willingness to, that, to the very thing he's doing. We, we need to increase awareness that God's at work around us. These guys never walked into that brothel anticipating God being there ahead of them, ever. They saw that as a, we're compromising ourselves, but this is the only safe place for us. Let's just go. I, think, I don't think they ever anticipated God showing up there. And that's exactly where he shows up. It's exactly the place he draw them into, drew them into, made them aware of, and they go there for a reason un, totally unspiritual and leave with something glorious. Why? God showed up. He showed, and their awareness then, oh, I guarantee you, that moment changed them, changed those two guys, changed Joshua too, as, as, as we're going to see. They get back and tell in this story. But those kinds of encounters change us. We're never the same. Why? Because we've been a part of a holy moment, a holy conversation in a brothel with a prostitute. Now, if, I, if that doesn't increase our awareness that God can, if that doesn't raise our antennas, God, he's up to something. He's up to something in her and in him. And he's up to something in every circumstance, situation in my life. He always has been, always will be. He's up to something. I need to glean that and get that. How do we do that? By way of his word by way of prayer, by way of practice. How do I become more keenly aware of what God is up to? His word will guide me to that place. His word will make the, the circumstances around me come alive. Uh, I had a conversation with somebody this past week about <clears throat> the, the, the uh, uh, situation at the, at the airport 
where those five were killed and and you know is that terrorism is that <clears throat> and the point is this um, every bit of what's happening in our world looks exactly like Matthew 24 it just looks exactly like it and so believers are left with situations of I can't make sense of this of what's happening in our world or believers say that looks exactly like this that's what's going on and it is and it does but we don't know that until we stick our nose in here. We don't know that what's happening in our world was predicted to be happening in our world at, in this very age and at this very time. So that awareness comes as we dig our nose into his word. That awareness comes as we pray more fervently about those situations, those encounters, those conversations, those failures, those things we think God could never use. As we start to pray intimately with him about those very things, that awareness increases. And then as we put those two things, word and prayer, into practice, we start to see God working around us. We start to see the, the, the rest of the story is she lives on her brothel. It's on an outside wall of the city. And so by way of escape, she lets them down out the window outside the city wall. And they scurry off, stay in the, stay in the woods for three days until the, the, the people looking for them are gone. And they t- head back to, to Joshua to tell them the story. God is provisional in every step in the preparation of them walking into the city and who they would encounter and how they would get away. He was, he was ahead of them in every step and made every step his way. Now, as we put his word and prayer into practice, we're going to see God. We're going to see the steps start to unfold in front of us and say, okay, that's what this was about. That's what this, this is why this makes sense now. And this, and when we start to connect the dots of, of this conversation, this encounter, this situation, this, this financial situation, this, and we start to see that relationships and those kinds of things matter because God is at work in them around us to change us. Why? To, for us to realize, I've got influence. I don't think Rahab ever, ever thought that she would do something eternal with her life. Yes, she did. Most of us think that way, too. I'm marking time. I go to church. I sing some songs. I give. I serve. I, but I don't know that my life will ever be, be, be a part of anything eternal. She took that away that day, and I think it changed her forever. In fact, it changed her to the degree that the rest of the Israelites tell that story over and over and over and over again to where it ends up in the in the great roll call of faith in Hebrews 11. And she is this patriarch, or this matriarch rather, of faith, a prostitute. Why? Because God showed up and did something in her and through her to someone else. Those kinds of, of situations change us. They make us <clears throat> far more keenly aware that if God can do that, he can do anything, anywhere, anytime. And he does, and he can. And he will in us.